Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. This episode of The Voice of the Valley is dedicated to Katie and Diane Pinch, Jennifer and Kelly Whitmer, Sherry and Barb Schubert, and our faithful and wonderful ministry assistant here at Sun Valley Church. And super fantastic. And super fantastic, Deb Woodcock. These are the women that have um, raised us, have agreed to marry us. Maybe not Deb. She's married to Kim. And uh, Hmm. they spend the most time with us, and they have to deal with Rick and myself more often than not. And, and, you know, the reason that these or the women that this episode is dedicated to is because we're podcasting. We're and, well, and we John podcasting. that's why we, John's wife and mom are included, but yeah. John's not even in the room again. Seriously. We're what is up with him? Well, why isn't he here for this mother's he's day down. special commemorative podcast? He's visiting his mother right now. Well he's the best of us. In Colorado. Well so now my mom's gonna call and say, Hey, why aren't you in Montana, <laughs> sweetie? Why <laughs> Very sweet of you to uh, not stop by. Yeah. Well, Rick, we're we're podcasting about mothers, and we're dedicating this podcast to our wives and to our mothers, um, because this last Sunday was Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. It's a special yeah, day. It was. It was a good day. It was very good. It was very... Planted my wife's petunias in the front yard. Yeah. And and last year I did the same, and they <laughs> they grew very very big, so. The I don't know. I don't know if other people plant the flowers they get at church, but they do they do blossom. Yes. I uh well, here's here's the thing, Rick. Uh most people don't know this, but our faithful ministry assistant Deb is the one that, that goes and picks those out every year. Every single year. Every single year. And um you know, she doesn't get mentioned enough on this podcast. That's true. And so we're we're here, and we're, we're going to rectify that situation. We're, you know what? We're going to see how many times we can mention Deb Woodcock on this podcast. Yes, making up for lost time. Yes, we've we've mentioned Amelia enough times. We've <sighs> mentioned um, it's usually for whatever reason it's my family that ends up getting mentioned the most. Uh, you are the host. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna infamous you know. Amelia. So Deb, if you're listening to this, which she will on Friday. We most statistically don't don't shut it off. Please don't like because there's 20 more times. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And as she uh, noted on when we were on our way out the door to come over here to the studio, she's like, "Oh, that couple of dudes podcasting about motherhood." So that makes sense. It really does not make sense in the slightest. But we are. <laughs> well, we were going to ask the woman pastors to come and podcast about it, but uh, then we opened our Bibles and fired them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, that uh, two dudes um, podcasting about motherhood. But hey, it's twenty twenty two. John's never going to leave town again. <laughs> He's good. Uh, no, we uh, we are we're we're podcasting about motherhood because it's it's a beautiful thing, obviously, and it's under attack by by the world around us, and you know as we discussed last week with with um, the overturning or the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, the implications of what that means, and and 
the beauty of motherhood and what God has created uh, man and woman to be. And so we thought it would be a good uh, good podcast to think through the theology and glory of what it means to be a mother. Yeah. So that's that's why we're doing it. And um, Very good. Yeah. It probably would have helped if we had some mothers in the room, but we're just... I don't know. We're let's see where, let's, dudes. let's see where this goes. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't jump to that conclusion just yet. <laughs> Give it three minutes. Uh, Rick, can you define what a woman is? I don't know. No, Jer, I'm not a biologist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was a question that was recently asked to the newest Supreme Court nominee, Katanji. Is that how you say it? Katanji Brown Jackson. Katanji Brown Jackson. Can you define what a woman is? And her infamous response to such a simple question as is, uh, can you define what a woman is, was, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. Well, then by all means, Sid is a, <laughs> a justice on the highest court of the land. That makes, that makes the sense. Most, it makes the most sense in the America that we live in now. The, the child actors in Kindergarten Cop could define it. <laughs> Uh, the transgender movement has isolated and devalued and undermined womanhood and particularly motherhood now we can't even call a mother a mother they are now referred to as birthing people happy birthing people's day not even google went that far i looked on sunday i told that to katie i was just curious yeah happy birthing person day she she was not happy at all. Is that where you got that Buckeye? <laughs> uh, no, and no, I don't have a black eye. I have two. Why? Because <laughs> uh, you said that while she was pregnant. <laughs> why is the world, Rick, why is the world so adamant about systematically dismantling this thing called motherhood? Why are they so adamant about it? Systematically dismantling it. That's one way of putting it. I think it's true. Um, And I think the answer is pretty simple. They've lost their minds. (laughs) But don't take my word for it. Take Paul's word for it. In Romans 1, he says that even though God has revealed his glory in what he's made, yeah, last time I checked, male and female are part of what he's made, Mm. right? Um, It says, although they knew God, this is Romans 1, 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And throughout the rest of Romans 1, we see him going through a series of exchanges that futile thinking people have made when they have thrown off the rule of God and adopted the rule of self. Um, That leads to homosexuality, sexual perversion of every kind, and transgenderism um, would be right in there. And motherhood being at the heart of how God is expressing his glory in half of the human race. Approx- you know, approximately, and not, and not to say that every woman will be a mother, but by and large, most will um, and have been designed to be. Um, that's 
that's something that the world is going to throw off as well. Because when you throw off the rule of a king, you're not so keen on having his laws about. And that would include the natural laws that he's put in place. Mm -hmm. And so truly, you know, to use Paul's words, they become futile in their thinking or they've lost their minds. That's, I think, why, you know, I think that's one of the main reasons that they're going after motherhood Mm -hmm. in our age where that Romans 1 perversion has has cascaded in a snowball effect to where what was 10 years ago considered to be a, a, a radical left statement mm. um, is now considered to be close to center. And, and you're seeing people on that side of, of the spectrum, they're just eating themselves and each other alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Mm-hmm. But there's some other things. But what do, what do you think? Well, How have you made sense of it? Because I know you've thought about it. I don't, you know, it's, it's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Like this radical uh, ideology of transgenderism is nothing new. There's, we see this actually in, in Marxism and communism is what they're trying to do is, is, um, get rid of the central family. Yes. Um, and if they can get rid of the central, you know, value core of the family, they, they can, they are able to dismantle religion alongside with Mm. it. That's a good Um, point. And so I think, you know, there's, it's not just all for naught. It's not purposeless in why they do it. What they're trying to do is to dismantle um, religion, uh, if you will, um, as a whole. And the way to do that is is starting with the core, which is the family. Yeah. You know. Right. That makes sense. I mean, that the first government ever instituted was the government of the self. Mm-hmm. And right along with that is the government of the family. That's the first government that we see in Scripture, mm-hmm. um, you know, aside from the self. Self, but of the three big institutions, the family comes first in in progressive revelation. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good point, actually. I just was listening to a podcast while I was mowing the lawn yesterday, and I didn't know this, but in Plato's Republic... Um, that famous work from before the time of Christ, he advocates for the um, essentially the abolition of the family is what this um, teacher was saying mm. um, in his Sunday school class. It, he, and I, it really st- stood out to me because I thought, huh, that's what Marx said, basically, in the Communist Manifesto. Right. But that's like you said, that's not new. Um, and I think hitting on that not new theme, it goes, it's something that goes all the way back to the garden. Right. And I think this is the deepest reason that um, motherhood's under attack is because it, it was in the context of motherhood that the first gospel promise was made right. in Genesis 3.15, which we reference all the time because we should. Um, out from, the, from the seed of the woman will come the one who crushes the head of the serpent. Mm. Yeah, and you trace that theme all the way through Scripture. And in Revelation 12, God's people, Israel, who uh, from whom that Messiah would come, are put in terms of a woman, a mother. And it says, um, a great sign, and this is Revelation 12, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head, uh, on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, 
so that uh, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Mm-hmm. So we have Jesus here. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness. Um, and the woman goes on, uh, the dragon goes on to pursue the woman. He pursues the mother yeah. into the wilderness, and God protects her. And this is this is symbolic, but symbols aren't meaningless in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so we see that that mother that that conflict between motherhood, between the mother and the serpent, going from Genesis literally to Revelation. And I, so that's what's underneath all this. Yeah. People can ignore God and be futile in their thinking and think that they are their own gods, but really this is just a front for the great spiritual conflict that's always been raging. Yeah, yeah. So, Rick, the world is is telling us a lot of different things of what motherhood uh, is and what it's not. Um, but when we look at Scripture, what is it? What does it mean to be um, biblical or to be biblically faithful as as a mother? What What does it mean to be uh, a biblical mother, if you will. You mean in terms of like what is motherhood? Yeah. And what isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you know, uh, w- the first thing that comes to mind is is I oftentimes look at First Timothy when I'm thinking about mothers and motherhood, mm-hmm. um, because like like today in the first century there was a demeaning of motherhood. And what Paul is doing with Timothy in the first epistle he writes to him, you know, is which is regarding the church in Ephesus. In chapter 2, he's talking about corporate worship. Okay, so he's talking about how should the church be together as men and women. And he begins with the instructions to the men, and then um, he says in chapter 2, verse 11, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And he's not saying, don't say anything, right? Um, he's saying, she, you know, a woman isn't designed to have a teaching authority role over men in the church. Mm-hmm. So in the corporate setting, women should not be teaching, mm-hmm. okay? And, and by the way, most men won't be teaching in the corporate setting either. There's mm-hmm. qualifications and safeguards around that as well. Um, but the reason he does that is he goes back to the Garden of Eden, and he does so before sin enters into the picture, which is really significant because it means that this is this is something that has always been this way it's not a result of sin and it's not just a first century you know ancient near east situation going sure. on it's as applicable in 21st century america as sure. it is in ephesus in the first century he says here's the reason for adam was formed first then eve and adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor in other words, Adam went into this with his eyes open. He mm-hmm. had abnegated his responsibility to to protect the garden and his wife. She was deceived. He just he knew what he was getting into, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Now here 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 it is, verse fifteen. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in the faith and love and holiness with self control. And we know he's not talking about spiritual salvation. Um, because nobody's saved through childbearing. We are saved through faith in the seed of the woman (laughs) who was born in order to die for us. That's where salvation comes from. But when Paul's talking about her being saved, he's saying this this blight upon um, motherhood that comes through the first mother, Eve, 
who who got this reputation as oh great you know mother eve led the led the race into sin and here's all these problems Mm -hmm. well that gets reversed we have a curse reversing role that god is playing through faithful mothers Mm -hmm. as they raise up their offspring to do battle with the serpent Mm. and to to fight dragons Mm. that's really significant so that's that's what motherhood is what it, what it's not is it's not insignificant. Yeah. It's not second rate. It's not small and menial. It's not something to hire out to a daycare. It's not something to despise like our culture does. Yeah. Which we saw in the 2012 presidential election cycle when Mitt Romney's wife, they went after her hard for being a stay-at-home mom. And that shows, you know, 10 years ago even just... What does our culture think of mothers? Yeah. Um, so this is a real world-transforming thing going on. Um, of course, we have Proverbs 31, which I won't, I won't read that, but that's a whole acrostic poem full of what motherhood is. And some of the things that stand out to me is that it's, motherhood is glorifying to God. Mm-hmm. This shows His glory. This gets back to His creation, right? Um. God is, I mean, just not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to, just real quick, what are some ways that you can think of that as you watch your wife, um, that you see the glory of God through her faithfulness? Uh, there's a few. Uh, the first is is um, her pointing my kids to Christ, you know, through everyday events in our lives. Um, so being gospel centered minded with my children, being missional with my children. Um, another way is, is, um, showing grace when she can or asking forgiveness when she needs to ask for forgiveness. Um, so wrapping it back to the gospel again, um, through, through daily interactions where she, you know, um, shows that grace or she asks for forgiveness when she fails or whatever. Um, so those are a few, uh, feeding my kids. <laughs> <There's one. laughs> you that know, glorifies God. It really does. Right. You know, it's, it's a simple thing as that, like just making sure my kids are bathed and, and have food in their system. And, um, the, the menial, what the world would call menial, yeah. like, mundane things yeah. um, are actually honoring and glorifying to God. Man, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I love that you said that. I mean, what, what is more like God than feeding his people, than yeah. feeding your people, yeah. right? We can't get, I'm preaching this coming Sunday, give us this day our daily bread, mm-hmm. right? So we petition our Father for that, and mothers are bearing the brunt of the feeding work mm-hmm. in their families, by God's designs, it's for His glory. So, motherhood is glorifying to God. It's not. It's not glorifying to self. People don't seek their own glory by laying down their lives for the sake of others, yeah. day by day, often without gratitude, mm-hmm. through a lot of painstaking labor. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, another thing it is is, and we see this clearly in Proverbs thirty-one, is it's motherhood. Godly motherhood is focused on a mother's people, mm. um, like you said. And that's, that's one of the things that distinguishes um, the roles that God's ordained for men and women. Um, 
by and large, a man devotes his attention to things that are going on outside of the home in his work. Um, And that work is meant to build the world. You know, we get back to the culture mandate in Genesis 1, Mm -hmm. um, Genesis 2, work and keep the garden, Mm -hmm. right? So set the boundary and make sure it's clear and that the things outside are being cultivated. And then we look at the partner that God gives to the man. um, And what is she doing? She is helping him do that. Mm -hmm. Well, how can a man do his calling with undivided attention um, and come home to his family if things are falling apart at home. Mm-hmm. And so she is helping him by, and I'm, what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about not working outside the home in, in some capacity or other. That's not the, the focus. The focus is what is your orientation? Right. And a mother's orientation is primarily toward her people right. within the home. Um, which is why Paul, you know, tells Titus to, to have the older women train the younger to love their husbands and children and to be workers at home, right? Because what happens there is going to, that's, that's also a world-building task. And so each, the husband and the wife, have a world-building task laid before them by God. Mm-hmm. And it, it's different. The spheres are different, and yet they work in tandem to do this thing called the culture mandate and as believers on this side of the cross, the great commission. Mm-hmm. So motherhood is glorifying to God. It's not glorifying to self. It's focused on her people, not focused on herself and on the world. Um, it's industrious. Proverbs 31, that woman is industrious. Mm-hmm. This is the farthest thing from boredom mm-hmm. that you can find. She's involved in real estate transactions. She's involved in making and selling things at market. She's involved in um, doing so much, and she puts so much labor into it that her husband and children rise up and call her blessed, mm-hmm. and they praise her in the gates. And that's where the city gathers, by the way, mm-hmm. in, in ancient Israel, the gates. So her fame is known for her faithfulness Mm -hmm. in contrast to idleness. And this is where a lot of young mothers um, can fall prey just by human nature, is into idleness. Young men are are lazy by and large. Young moms can have the same temptation, which is why Paul, in 1 Timothy 5, he's talking to younger widows, and he says... um, uh, don't enroll younger widows to be supported by the church um, because when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so they incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, not and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So what does Paul say is the answer to help hedge against some of these natural temptations? He says, I would have younger widows marry bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Hmm. And and that's huge, right? What's at risk? I mean, what's at stake in building a godly home and managing it um, for his glory? It's will Satan and a world of darkness have occasion to slander the gospel or not? So it's not idle. It builds. It doesn't tear down. And... And I would say it's life, It's a complement to a husband's role, as we discussed, yeah. um, rather than being a, a competitor for that role. If you have two p- people playing the same position, um, your team's going to lose because there's no defense um, against you know <laughs> the opposition. Right. But when a godly mother plays her position and a godly 
father plays his, that's full orbed protection. And then I don't think, you know, in light of what's going on with the Supreme Court, last thing I'll say is, is motherhood is life-giving. It's not abortive. You know, and and that can take many forms, but that's just a, a list of some, some ideas. So, um, Rick, if, if, you know, uh, if we're doing this correctly, if, if women are, are following these, 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 um, scriptural mandates, um, how, what does that show to the world that's watching? If they're being faithful as mothers to what God has called them to be in scripture, what is it showing the world that is watching? It, there's a difference. I would say there's there's an obvious difference. Things that are um, in contrast to the ways of the world stand out. A lot of times for persecution, mm-hmm. right? Which is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. You know, our world is not known for righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so when people are righteous, what are they doing? They're shining the light of Christ. And in John, John chapter one, or no, John chapter three, it says that, that the world hated, a world of darkness hated the light because their deeds were evil. Mm-hmm. And so I would say it shows, it shows the light of Christ and his glory. It shows God's character. I mean, there's places in Scripture where God describes himself as in motherly terms, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. With feathers, you know, gathering her children under her, her wings. Um, Paul talks about, like a mother, I came to you in, in tenderness. And right. I don't know, are there any other places you can think of? Uh, yeah, in the Bible. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling to think of them too, um, but they're there. I mean, we do, we have a compassionate yeah. God and yeah. qualities that we sometimes associate with femininity. I mean, remember male and female, he created them in his yeah. image, yeah. each with their nature. And so, um, really I'd say this, this is one of the, um, most profound pictures of the gospel that we see built into the created order. When God, through godly mothers, shows self-sacrificial service, literally laying down um, your life for another, which is what motherhood is day after day after day when it's being carried out by God's design. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like we talked about, there, the, the world does not look at that and go, oh, here's glamour. Oh, here's something that is profoundly worthwhile. It's looked at as something that, you know, you deal with, for, you know, and then you figure out how it's supposed to work, working into the rhythm of your schedule so that you can, you know, go back to work, in whatever the case may be. And um, all along the way, the world doesn't see the gospel communicated through a mother who diligently puts her children and her husband first mm-hmm. and who labors away in that sense. Um, I forget which magazine it was. It might have been Time. It might have been um, a business magazine. But they had actually taken all the tasks that a normal homemaking mother does each day 
And they took each of those tasks and they put a fair market value to the things that are done Mm -hmm. because you can pay people to do any of those things. And they added up what would be the compensation for a typical homemaker if she was being paid fair market value. Mm -hmm. And she, her salary eclipsed the CEO of a corporation. (laughs) Wow. It's, it was right up there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) there's so much that goes into that. Yeah. And so think of, think of an older widow that Paul talks about when he's talking about the widow role of a church. And he's describing what, gets communicated through godly motherhood because it was only going to be these godly older mothers who would be supported by the church if she had no children or grandchildren Mm -hmm. to support her. He says, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. What does that communicate? (laughs) Whatever the world can say about a woman like that, they can't say that she's evil. They can't say that she's backward. They can say she's... They don't understand her, but they can't look at that, someone who's devoted to good works and helping the afflicted. Talk about social justice. (laughs) Man. Now, Rick, um, before I bring up this, this last question, I'm going to read this passage from Second Timothy uh, to kind of go into this, this final question here. Okay, so this is, this is Paul writing to Timothy. And he says this, he says, uh, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred things which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, going back a chapter or two chapters, says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And so Paul's going back and, and reminding um, Timothy of where his faith began, right? With with his mother and his grandmother teaching him the ways of the Lord. Um, now, it could seem like, especially now, uh, if, if there's young mothers listening to this, um, it could seem like... Um, all may be lost at a lot of a <laughs> yeah. lot of times. Um, wh- the children are they're they're trying to kill me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, what would be your advice for for young mothers who who are going through that time that phase where where they're struggling? It does feel like the kids are trying to kill me. Um, <laughs> it's it, not funny when we read passages like that from. From Paul to Timothy, yeah, um, you know how how would you encourage 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 young mothers? Hmm. There's a quote that um, sometimes we have posted in our home, and Jen actually wrote it in the nursing mother's room on a board. It's it's from Rachel Yankovic, um, and it is that fa- faithfulness doesn't feel like what it's accomplishing. Hmm. 
In other words, you think about um, Eunice and Lois, okay? Um, and there, it was Eunice, right? Which was his mom, mm-hmm. and then Lois's grandma. Mm-hmm. What if they had grown weary and given up? I mean, think about that, because yeah. Eunice, her husband was not a believer. Yeah. Timothy's father was a Greek, and there's no indication that he believed in Christ, um, at least not that I'm aware of. Yeah. And so two of the epistles in our New Testament would have different names or not exist, hmm. if, if not for the godly influence of a mother and a grandmother being faithful and accomplishing much God accomplishing much through them under the surface when day by day it was almost imperceptible. And think of how tempting it is to just throw in the towel. But they persisted. Faithfulness accomplishes in God's hands so much more than it feels like you're doing. Right. And so on the days when it feels like nothing good is happening, know that it is. Know that God is glorified. And there's a smile in heaven, even when they're screaming around the dinner table on earth. <laughs> okay. Seriously. Yeah. It is so profoundly important. Yeah. And it's in the trenches of the little years, especially where the loyalties and affections of children are formed. Um, from a psychological standpoint, the world has a whole, they have a whole branch of psychology devoted to it called attachment theory. Mm-hmm. Um and, and there's just been so many volumes of books written on and studies done about attachment bonds that are formed. Well, the world didn't create attachment bonds. That was God who did that. And part of the reason that he gives the calling to mothers that he does in, in 1 Timothy and Titus to bear children and manage their households well and be working at home is not to enslave them by any means, but because the, the future of the world depends on it. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is in those years that, are, that get the most flack as being so unglorious in ministries that, you know, nursery ministry, year, those years that you always struggle to stock up on servers yeah. for, those are the years that are, are changing the future. And I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not exaggerating. Um, the loyalties that are formed through faithfulness in those years are going to last a lifetime. Yeah. And keeping that in view, especially when it feels the complete opposite, is is such an I hope an encouragement. Um, and so the cheerfulness of a woman who sees the future oak in the sprouting acorn Mm -hmm. and sees through scripture example after example after example of what the fruit of godly motherhood and the lives of biblical heroes and heroines looked like. Um, That's what God's doing. He's doing it now like he was doing it then. And it will change the world. The Great Mm -hmm. Commission hinges on it. How are our children supposed to be ready to go into the world and not only take dominion, but bring the gospel to the nations if they aren't prepared. And where are they going to get prepared if not in the Christian home, mm-hmm. right? And in the church. And so, yeah, that's what's happening. And so, you know, speaking of that, being in church, when it feels like, why are we even here? Because we're getting up 15 times during the service, and then I'm sitting in the lobby, and I can't hear. And I, I literally couldn't even tell you what pastor preached about. Mm-hmm. You know what? That, too, 
is corporate worship. That too is corporate worship. Mm -hmm. And I can't overstate this. Keep showing up. Keep getting up. I would encourage dads to take the kids and let mom sit in the sanctuary Mm -hmm. as much as possible. And yeah, that may mean listening to the sermon later on, you know, on the podcast, and that's okay. Um, the act of training our children in worship and showing up with them is is a life-shaping force. Yeah. And that is the number one reason we stopped doing children's church mm-hmm. and why I, I have no intention of bringing it back. Yeah. Because the value of the people of God in corporate worship together, when Ezra and Nehemiah were reading the law together, um, it specifically mentions the babies mm. being there mm-hmm. <laughs> in the congregation. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons I think this is so important is because our generation, um, is not a generation that was trained in stamina, right? It doesn't take very much opposition and hardship to just give up and do the next thing. Right. And yet that's, that's exactly what the enemy would want. But God says to us and to young and to moms, what he says to Paul in effect, which is when Paul said, please take this thorn away, yeah. um, which I'm sure there's a mother or two who have cried out something similar. <laughs> take this thorn away. Um, you know, my, he doesn't say, okay, fine, I will. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Right. And in your weakness, that is when my power is perfected. Right, right. So stay the course yeah. and get hopefully dad get in there <laughs> church is not for you at the expense of your wife right lay your life down right. and show what jesus does right. you know um but stay the course because um the great commission's happening right and those little pagans you birthed are uh, are the first people you're evangelizing right. <laughs> day right. by day yeah. so yeah that's good that's good. Now, Rick, what um, we have some mothers who are in our church who have uh, older children who may be in junior high, high school, college, um, children who are married and doing their own thing. What what would be your advice to to those uh, mothers who are dealing with a different age group of of kids? <sighs> Number one, um, God is not finished with you. Hmm. God is not finished with you. And I'm going to put grandmas in here too. Because yeah. uh, I think our culture, it's easy to think that um, once the kids are gone, they've got their own kids, you know, the, the really impactful work is done, right? And hopefully they come home some Christmases and we can have a good relationship, but it's not going to... And it will look different, right? Because it's, it's a different dynamic. Um, but... Who does Paul mention again in Second Timothy? Uh, that would be Lois. Oh, Lois, Grandma, yeah. Grandma Lois, Gigi. and I'm I'm guessing that Timothy didn't just, you know, um, relegate her to a time of the past. You know, the the impact of her is recorded in Scripture for a reason, yeah. because without her, Timothy wouldn't have been who he was. Um, think about the first miracle that Jesus is recorded as doing. Um, turning the water into wine, right? Right. Um, who who was the impetus for that? 
his mother. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I learned um, as a teenager not to respond like Jesus did <laughs> to my mother when she asked me to do something. Dear woman, why do you involve me in this? Rick, go clean your room. Dear woman, why, why do you involve me in this? My time has not yet come. Bend over and it has come. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Um, no, Jesus, the, the, the impact and influence of his mom, like she was part of his ministry mm-hmm. and he's the son of God, mm-hmm. right? So there is no excuse mm-hmm. for anybody in, uh, who's not Jesus, which would be all of us mm-hmm. to, to sit here and say, eh, you know, give it, take it or leave it. You know, the godly influence of a godly mother, um, we saw that supporting Jesus's ministry. Mm-hmm. We saw it was Mary who was at the cross. Mm-hmm. When the disciples fled, it was Mary that Jesus took care of when he told John, behold your mother, mm-hmm. right? And so the that's the biblical vision, is the generational impact of a grandmother, of a mother of grown children to, you know, because, you know, we don't, despite what we all think when we hit 18, we really haven't attained the pinnacle of wisdom, <laughs> And there's a lot to learn, and there's a lot to be offered from the godly experience of generations of faithfulness. Yeah. And so, um, be in those positions to be sought out, um, not just by your own kids, but by um, people in the church who need that wisdom. Yeah. And um, from time to time, perhaps even offer it. Um, I think a mistake that um, some older women can make is to just, well, I'll just wait to be asked. And yeah, it's a risk. It's a risk to offer encouragement and help. Um, but it's a risk worth taking. And if it's spurned, um, that's not on you. That's, that's shame on the spurner, yeah. right? And then, of course, even for older women, they haven't arrived at glorification yet either. And so keep learning, keep exploring ways to... Emul- you know, to really embody the kind of godly motherhood and womanhood that we see in Scripture, keep growing, and then take the younger along with you in that growth journey. Yeah. And that's the Titus 2 vision, yeah. right? A book that we gave out at the Family Shepherd's Breakfast um, is called Grandparenting, and it's about biblical grandparenting and the role. That it's like a bi- basically it's a, a short biblical theology, easy to read. This is what the biblical vision of grandparenting looks like it's by josh mulvihill i don't have any copies right now but i would encourage you to read that and it's it's so cool and full of testimonies of grandparents who found ways to do that yeah so yeah well good good rick i think uh i think you 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 uh were able to nail the topic of of what it means to be um a biblical mother (laughs) Uh, <laughs> well, that's very gracious yeah. of you to say. <laughs> but what do we know? Yeah, We're just we two know? dudes. Just two dudes. Podcasting. No. Um, it's good mm. to have open Bibles in times like that. It, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, to all the mothers out there, we love you, uh, and we appreciate your ministry, um, not only to your family, but to us as well here at Sun Valley. Um, you know, we are we are incredibly and immensely grateful for you all thank you so much we um we hope that this podcast has been an encouraging podcast for you and we look forward to worshiping with you this sunday and then as we meet together next wednesday on the voice of the valley 
Have a great day.